atheist, where we are looking at the irony, and it really is ironic, the irony of people who believe in God but behave like he isn't real. Today we're considering the idea of change with a message titled, When You Believe in God But Don't Think You Can Change. In my time as both a lay leader and as a pastor, I've come to understand the absolute necessity of one thing the author of this story seems to be pointing towards. The necessity of self-awareness. Many of the difficulties that we face or the lack of ability to overcome these difficulties are rooted in our lack of self-awareness. We simply think that we are smarter and more clever than we really are, and our lack of willingness to deal with this reality is holding us back from becoming the person that God created us to be and reaching what you've heard me call on many occasions our God destiny. What I'd like to talk to you about today is our, our when I say our, and in other words, I mean humanity's perspective on change. Why do we struggle with it so much? Why do we fear it? Why do we hate it like we do, even when we might see the need for it? We'll also discuss God's answers to our fear and loathing and how he addresses it and promises to walk us through it when we let him and what happens when we do this. So let's get started. If you didn't get a message outline when you walked in, this, you should have gotten them at both doors. Um, just raise your hand, because you're going to want them. Pastor Anson will be more than happy to, to, to do that for you. Um, otherwise, otherwise, we're going to get started. There's something that uh, we must understand and come to terms with right out of the chute if we desire to be the person that God has meant for us from the very beginning. Write this down. Change is essential in our journey to becoming like Jesus. Change isn't simply a desire. It's a necessity. A very long time ago, a couple of people in a garden were given the decision to either follow God on his terms or follow their own hearts, knowing full well that to do so meant that they would reap the consequences. And we all know what they chose. And we have been dealing with the fallout ever since. However, God made them a promise, even in the midst of their rebellion, that one day he would set things right and put his creation back on track to becoming what he had meant for it to be. The promise that was made in a garden in Genesis chapter 3 was fulfilled on a starry night in Bethlehem when God himself, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, became flesh and took up residence among us. Thirty years later, he emerged onto the scene, ready to fulfill his mission. Here's how the Gospel of Mark presents it. Chapter 1. The time is fulfilled. This is Jesus speaking. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. He came to proclaim and to show by example what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. And what's the first thing he tells us? Repent. In other words, change. Change the direction. Change the trajectory of your life because the time has come and God's about to fulfill the promise he made so long, long ago. Now having said all that, do you think Jesus took the idea of change and its necessity seriously? 
He spent the rest of his ministry on earth showing people, both present and future, what a kingdom life looked like and how out of phase it is and of, of, of how life was being lived and is continuing to be lived. He also provided a way for us to have a means of change outside of our own ability or lack thereof through his life, death, and resurrection, thereby making it possible to become the person that he had in mind when he created us in the first place through the process of transformation, a series of changes made over a lifetime with a goal of becoming a mirror image of Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul talks about this process in his letter to the Romans. This is a familiar verse to many of us, no doubt. Chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Change. Transformation. Renewal begins by changing the way that you think. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? It even sounds easy to some of us. So why, why do we find not just this process, but the very idea of change so difficult? Well, let's talk about the idea of change and the truth about us. Write this down. We don't change because we don't want to. Is that direct enough for you? We don't change because we don't want to. Or perhaps we don't see the need to. This is where the importance of self-awareness emerges. We are often blind to our own, shall we say, eccentricities. And as a result, we choose not to change. To be perfectly honest with you, this is arguably the most common reason people continue to live their lives the way that they do, making decisions that are not only not best for them, but not best for the people that they love. Change is difficult. There's the understatement of the day. Change is difficult, and they would rather not be bothered. And frankly, if you don't like it, you can go pound sand. This isn't anything new, by the way. People have been like this since forever. Consider this passage from the Old Testament book of Judges. It's, this is the last verse in the, in the book, and it's very telling of the mindset of the people of Israel during this time. Listen to chapter, 20, or chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Here's, here's, here's the money sentence in this verse. Here it is, right here. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. People did what they wanted, lived how they wanted to live, and were wholly unfazed by how it affected what was going on around them. Now, does that even sound a little bit familiar? People do what is right in their own eyes. Write this down. In other words, we are unwilling. We're unwilling to change. We're unwilling to change and for a variety of reasons, but I think Paul is on to something when he discusses an unrepentant people in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 4 and verse 18, he says this, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here it is right here. 
due to their hardness of heart. Congregational survey. I haven't done this in a while. How many of you, how many, how many among us here in this room, how many among us are ex-smokers? Raise your hand. It's quite a few of you. Good for you. Now I have a rhetorical question for you. How many times did you try to quit before you were ultimately successful? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. I was a three-pack-a-day smoker when I when I was a smoker. Go big or go home. <laughs> I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the number of times I tried to quit before I finally did. I say all of this because it's not always a matter of unwillingness. Sometimes, maybe even often, we are in fact willing, but run into another idea of change and truth about us. Write this down. We don't change because we don't think we can. Let's talk about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a guy named Gideon. Gideon, you, you find the story of Gideon in, in the book, Old Testament book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. And uh, Gideon, real briefly, Gideon was the youngest in his family. And it was a small family. And he was, his family was the smallest family in the tribe of Manasseh. And Manasseh was one of the smallest tribes in, in, in Israel. So needless to say, uh, Gideon's self-esteem was not real high. Well, one day, uh, and, and this, this, was, this happened after uh, a group of people called the Midianites had, been, had basically been harassing uh, the, the nation of Israel for, for, uh, for many, many years. And what they did was these guys would come in. They had a huge army. They would come in. They would camp against them. They would go in at harvest time. They would attack them, would, would take all of their food, all of their animals, and anything that was left, they would burn down. And then they'd leave. Needless to say, that left the children of Israel with not a whole lot, a whole lot of sustenance, right? So here was Gideon. One day, found himself in a wine press. If you could picture the size of a wine press, not very big, right? So he's in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. In other words, he's thrown it up in the air so that the, the chaff and all the nasty stuff blows away, and then the grain actually falls onto the floor. Um, it's a nasty, dirty, hard work, right? He, he, and it's also, can you imagine breathing all this stuff in an enclosed space? Usually they do this in this huge barn that's got you know, open sides and all this other stuff. He's in, in an enclosed space having all this happen, and he's threshing, threshing wheat so that his family would be able to eat after these guys come and attack. And if they, if they survive the ordeal, right, they're, they're, then, they can, you know, then they'll have food to eat. So he's doing all this work, and an angel of the Lord shows up. And he's work, work, working. And the angel of the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now I can imagine Gideon, he's probably thinking this whole time, this stinks. Having to do this with all these people, what's going on? What, where's God in this whole situation? He's probably really jaded over the whole situation. So this angel shows up, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I mean that, just push him over there. He's like, sir, please. I can imagine some of the other words you could think of that he would say here. Sir, please. If the Lord is with us, then why are we going through all this? All I've heard all my life was how the Lord was with us and how 
He delivered us up from all of this other stuff. But you know what, man? He's abandoned us here. And then the angel of the Lord says something very, very interesting. He kind of turns it around on Gideon. He says, go in the power that I have given you. Am I not with you? And Gideon freezes for just a second. Now, how many times have we heard this or something like this, you know? You know, you, 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 talk, about, you talk about your faith with someone or whatever the case may be, and they say to you, you know what, man, forget your God. If, if there's a God, why, is there, why, are, why are people dying of cancer? Why are little kids dying of AIDS? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and these are all, and I understand that, I do. His response, God's response is, go in the power that I have sent you and find a cure. Have I not sent you? He turns it right back on, he turns it right back on to us, just like he turns it right back on to Gideon. And Gideon, he's busted. He knows it. And he says, he says to, he says to Gideon, this is Gideon's response. This is Judges 6 and 15. He said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. You see, Gideon saw himself as unable to be the man and the leader that God proclaimed him to be because of who he was. He didn't think he could make the changes necessary in order to make it happen. Up to this point, he saw himself as a weakling, and there was nothing he could do to change it, so he simply didn't try. He was willing to settle for far less than God's best because he didn't think he had it in him to become what God had called him to be, had created him to be. In Romans 7, Paul talks about the frustration of not being the man that he believes he needs to be. Listen to verse 15. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Can I get a witness? Write this down. We don't change because we are unable. In Judges 6, God holds a mirror up to Gideon in order to reveal to him who he really is, and in a moment of total transparency, Gideon comes clean and faces the reality of his true self. Gideon is unable unable to be the man that God needs him to be to get the job done. Paul faces the same reality of his fallenness and inadequacy later in Romans chapter 7. Listen first to verse 15 as I read it to you. He says, For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This ultimately causes him to more or less throw his arms up in, in fear and frustration. He says this, A wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. What he's saying here is who's going to save me from me? Can any of you relate to this? 
You know you need to change, and you've tried heaven knows how many times, but you just can't, and you're ready to give up, and you're ready to throw in the towel and just go home and forget the whole thing and hope. Hope beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can keep your head down long enough to just get into the kingdom of heaven by the skin of your teeth. If this is you, I have two words for you. Six letters in all. You ready? But God. Let's talk about transformation and the truth about God. Write this down. God is able. God is able. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If this is true, if we believe this to be so, then there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that is beyond the pale. Everything is possible. Anything is possible if Genesis 1-1 is true. God is able. And more importantly, write this down. God is willing. God is willing. He's willing to bring about the change in you in order to, for you to fulfill his will and purpose for your life. And it starts by his presence in your life. Consider Gideon again for just a moment. Right after Gideon had this great moment of transparency, coming to grips with who he really was and how much power he really had to change it, God intervenes and says this. He, God always does this. Just when we are at our lowest point, when we're ready to... God shows up somehow. He did this for Gideon. He, he, he revealed Gideon who he was and just how powerless he was. And then he says this. God turns around and says this to Gideon. Verse 16, he says, But I will be with you. I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God reveals to Gideon that his presence is the game changer. That his presence and power, and through that, anything and everything is possible, including the defeat of the greatest standing army in his region, perhaps even in the world at the time. But to be honest with you, and, and Gideon didn't buy into this lock, stock, and barrel. At least at first. But as God patiently worked with him, and as Gideon got to know the character of God, he came to an aha moment where it finally dawned on him that God was serious and that he was going to do this great thing in and through him. And it changed everything, especially Gideon. Because that's how God rolls. And here's why. John, John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. You know, Jesus once said that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. 
And he gave his life so that this could happen, so that we could live this abundant life. So of course he's willing. But here's the most important part, and the part that I need you to hear, and I need you to grasp above all else that I've said today and all else that I will say going forward. Are you ready for this? He is willing for you. For you. He is willing to do for you whatever he must in order for you to become the person that he created you to be. He will help you overcome. He will help you defeat whoever or whatever you must. He is willing to transform you by whatever means necessary when, write this down please, when you allow him. You see, God's not going to impose himself on you. That's not how he works. You have to cooperate with him. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Because I've, I've been there. You're thinking, Pastor, that's, that's awesome. You know, man, that's, that's a great story. I can see that he is able. You know what? I can even see where he'd be willing to do something great for Tom. You know? Or Dan. Or Carol. Or Mike. Or Liz. Or somebody else. Whoever it is. But me... Man, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I was at this morning. You don't know who I was with last night. You don't know the struggles I've been dealing with for the last Lord knows how long. I've lost count. Yeah, he may be willing to do for you, but not for me. Don't you dare believe this. Don't you dare. That is a lie from the very pit of hell itself. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. It is God's deepest desire to redeem you, restore you, and transform you. But you must allow him. Perhaps you know the story of Abraham and how God once asked him to sacrifice his promised son as a sign of his devotion to him. Allow me to briefly set this up. As many of you know, the, the patriarch Abraham, well, if you don't know this, his, his son, Isaac, was born when he was 100 years old. 100. I like that guy. And I wasn't 75 when I met Tom, by the way. <laughs> Just saying Abraham was 100 years old. When God made the promise to Abraham, he was 75 years old. It took 25 years for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham that he gave him. 25 years. Now, I don't know about you, but if God promises me something and he doesn't show up in 15 minutes, I'm doubting his existence. Let's be honest. 25 years. Gives him the son of his promise, right? And understand, if you read in Genesis, Abraham had, he, he was, let's just say, Abraham was nowhere near the same guy when he was 100 that he was when he was 75. And I'm not just talking about physical stuff, man. The stuff that God had taken him through, the, the, the transformation that took place in his life was simply amazing. He was ready at 100 years old to be the father of a son, 
I'm going to say probably 15, maybe 20 years later. So Abraham's between 115 and maybe 125 years old. God calls him again, says to him, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take the son that was born to you when you were 100 years old, and I need you to take him up to the mountain, and I need you to sacrifice him to me to show me your devotion to me. Now, you'd think that Abraham would just flip out, and he doesn't. He gathers up everything, gathers up his servants, starts going, makes his way, gets to the foot of the mountain that he's about to take his son up where God asked him to sacrifice his son. Here's what he says, very telling, all right? Very telling. He says this. He says to his servants, he said, you guys wait here. My son and I are going to go up on that mountain, and we're going to sacrifice to the Lord just like he commanded. My son and I are going to walk up that mountain, and my son and I are going to walk down that mountain. If you think about that for just a minute, he knew He knew what God was calling him to do. He knew that there was going to be two going up and one coming down. At least that's what what anybody else would think, but not Abraham. Abraham had gotten to the point. God had built up his his trust in him. He he, he knew God was able, and he knew God was willing, but he had to learn how to... And this was kind of like the final exam that he had to take. He took took him up the mountain, right? And he he puts him on the altar, and he ties him up. And this is, mind you, this is a 125-year-old man versus like a 21-year-old kid. I'm not liking his odds. But the kid was obedient, too. you got to love Isaac. Ties him up, raises his knife to kill him. The angel intervenes. They find a, they sacrifice the goat. Come down the mountain. Powerful story. The writer of Hebrews encapsulates it this way. Chapter 11 and verse 17 through, verses 17 through 19. He says, by faith, this is from the faith hall of fame, I like to call it. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and who he had received the promises was in fact in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. In other words, the whole, the, the whole redemptive plan was leaning on this, right? He considered, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he received him back. When he walked up that mountain, when he said to those guys, I'm going up the mountain with my son, we're coming back down. Even if he had to kill his son, he believed beyond the shadow of a doubt and trusted God so much that he'll raise him from the dead if he has to, but I'm coming down the mountain with my boy. Abraham allowed God. He trusted him to do what he had to in order to transform him into the man that God needed him to be. Here's the takeaway. It's something that each of you as individuals are going to have to wrestle with yourself if you're to become the kind of person that God uses, the kind that he wants and needs you to be. Write this down. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? There was a guy I got to know when I was planting my church in Wisconsin. His name was Sean. When I first met him, it was we were at a kids' event that we were our church was sponsoring this this kids' event. Excuse me, in order to introduce ourselves to the community that we were starting our church. Now Sean was a meth addict, among other things. 
And when you looked at him, he was one of these kind of guys, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't look you in the eye. You know, he kind of shuffled. He, he turned away a lot, you know. If, you know, if you've ever worked with, with addicts, that's not uncommon. But he was in pretty rough shape. And after our encounter, I prayed. And I asked God, I said, God, give him to me, please. Give him to me. Allow me the privilege of helping him come to know and trust Christ as his Redeemer and Lord. A couple of months after we launched, Sean shows up at our fledgling church, right? We're just going a couple services in, maybe. And earlier in the week, he tells me that he had given his life to Christ, which we all rejoiced about, and that he, he, he needed a place to worship, and he wondered if, if Northern Lakes Church would, be, you know, would have him. And needless to say, we, of course, welcomed him with open arms and hearts. And over the course of several years, he struggled with life, as a lot of addicts do. And he struggled with his sobriety. And just a few years ago, he relapsed, and he was later put in prison after doing something he, he should have never done. He spent three or four years in jail, and once again became sober, and he cried out to God for forgiveness. And, and just this past Friday, two days ago, he celebrated four years sober and one year out of prison. He posted his testimony on Facebook, and I asked him if I could share it with you. And he not only agreed, but he was thrilled at the prospect of God using his testimony to perhaps help, help others. Allow me to, allow me to share his, his testimony with you here. Sean said, freedom. Many different things to many different people. Today, freedom seen, means so very much to me. For today marks four years of freedom from alcohol and drugs. Today marks one year free from prison. I literally started this day out on my knees and will admit in tears. Thanking my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for walking with me every step of the way. I have a great life. I'm so very blessed and thankful that Jesus never gave up on me. This isn't about me. This is about the power of God. If he can restore me, an ex-con meth addict, what can't he do? You have a choice. There is hope. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. And I pray that I bring honor and glory this day to you. Amen. You see, it would have been really easy for Sean, given the life that he lived and the difficulties that he had, to just throw his arms up and say, man, I can't change. I can't do this. I can't live this way. You know, I'm just going to continue doing what I do, using what I use, drinking what I drink, living the way that I lived until, until it's over. And thankfully, or hopefully, it'll be, won't be too long. But that's not what he did. You see, Sean believed that God was able. Sean believed that God was willing. And Sean believed that God was worthy of his trust. And he took God at his word, and God showed up. You see, God honors those who trust him. Genesis chapter 15, once again, this is Abraham right after right after he received the news from the Lord that the Lord was going to use him, you know, 
in, in the midst of his redemptive plan that it was going to be his family through whom the savior of the world, the savior of the universe was going to come through. And he, he, he said, okay, <laughs> okay. And here's what they wrote about it. It said he believed the Lord. He didn't just believe in the Lord. He believed the Lord that he was able and that he was willing. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God is able, God is willing to do extraordinary things in and through the lives of anyone who trusts him, including you. Let's pray. Friends, this is powerful stuff. It really is. This is, and I have no doubt that there are people who are in this room. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, or maybe ever. I don't know. But there's something there. God wants to do business with you. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, and man, you're struggling with something. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. God wants you to know that he is able, he is willing, if you trust him and allow him to make the changes in your life, First off, that are necessary. Second off, so that you can be and become the person that he created you to be. Now, Brian and the worship team here are gonna, they're gonna, um, they're gonna lead us in a very powerful set of songs here that, that are gonna give us a chance to reflect. And what I want, what I would like for you to do is if today is the day that you are going to do business with God, if today is the day that he is going to, that you are going to, that you are going to heed the call that he's been placing on your life since who knows when, then now is the time to do it. And you know what? If you want to, come on up. The altar here is free. Come kneel and pray. Seek anybody out in the congregation if you need to, if you want them to pray with you. Seek me out, whatever. Tom, but do business with God today. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence in this place today. We thank you for everything that you're doing. We thank you for everything that you've done. And we thank you and trust you to continue to do the great work that you need to do in order to not just make us, but to make this place ready for your coming. Because we trust that you are able, that you are willing, and you're willing to do those things for us. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. 
There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a savior, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves born now from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save him. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Sing it with us, right? If you believe it, if you receive it, let's all stand up. If you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it, and you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. You got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save him. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you need freedom, save him. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, well, he's a chain breaker. I've been held by the Savior. Life fell far from above. I've been down to the river. I ain't the same. I rather go return. Come on, guys, sing it. Oh. I've been washed by the blood. 
I'm no stranger to the prison. I've worn shackles and chains, but I've been freed and forgiven. Yes, I have. I'm not going back. I'll never be the same. Jesus, thank God that yesterday's gone. No, my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. Let me tell you something. There's a kind of thing that just breaks a man. Breaks him down to his knees. Got up and broken more than a time or two. Yes, I have. But he picked me up. Show me what it means to be a man. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. And all my sins are forgiven. And I've been washed by the blood. Sing it one more time. No, my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. It was A.W. Tozer who once said, The presence of God is everywhere, but the manifestation of God's presence in our life is by invitation. And as you've heard today, God is inviting you to invite his presence in your life daily, to go with you, whatever you're going through. So I'm going to pray with you right now. I just want to take the time to just finish off what God is doing and send you out of here, making sure you've invited his presence to walk out of here and lead you. So let's pray. Father, I just know there's somebody in this room. I mean, gosh, Lord, I'm sitting in the seat. I'm the pastor of the church supposed to be the spiritual leader, and I'm, I'm so impacted this morning by the message of change, of you saying, Tom, I'm trying to grab hold of you, Tom. i got some change I want to speak to you about. So, Lord, I, I, there's got to be at least somebody who's joining me in that conviction this morning, that you're speaking the same way to their heart today. And though you're, you're a God who invites, Lord, you're also, I feel, God, that you would clutch and hold on to us that we wouldn't run from you. So, Father, this morning I'm praying that we would invite every one of us, the manifestation of your presence to be active in our life. From when we walk out of here, Lord, that we would be taking you with us. You're with us. You're everywhere. The Bible says that your presence is everywhere. But, Father, we can be in your presence and ignore your presence. So we invite if that's you this morning and you need to invite 
God's presence into your life for the first time ever to say, uh, Lord, forgive me my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. You can do that right now. Just, just pray exactly what I just said. And he hears it and receives it. Maybe you would say, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I walk around ignoring God's presence daily, sometimes most of the day. I just do a little business with God, Lord. Lord, I acknowledge your presence. Manifest your presence in me to be the person you've designed me to be. Lord, hear every prayer that's going up. It's powerful. And we're trust. Like the last takeaway said, we're going to trust you, Lord. Even if your promise lingered out 25 years as Abraham, we're going to trust and walk. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? I want to share a couple more things with you this morning.